There was a, a young boy uh, in Macon, Georgia, who was being attacked by a dog. Uh, pretty kind of gruesome scene. A passerby happened by, saw it was happening, uh, grabbed the dog, uh, threw him in the river, saved the kid's life. And um, while it was miraculous that the, the boy was saved, the dog ended up passing away. And a guy from the Macon newspaper happened to be passing by, and he saw this whole thing unfold. And he was just absolutely moved by the heroism of this man who had intervened. And he said, man, I'm kind of leading the newspaper and I want to have on the front page of the newspaper tomorrow, Macon Man Saves Boy's Life. So I was really moved by your heroism. I want to do that. The man replied, well, that's great, but I'm not actually from Macon. And the editor said, well, that's okay. How about Georgia Man Saves Boy's Life? And uh, the man said, well, that's okay, but I'm actually not from Georgia either. He said, well, okay, where are you from? He said, well, I'm here on vacation from Illinois. And the next day, the newspaper said, deranged Yankee kills family pet. Um, (laughs) Right? So uh, not not Southern hospitality, all right? Not not a good example of it. But let me ask you, how many of you have ever uh, noticed a difference when you're traveling in the South when it comes to hospitality? All right, you, you've noticed a difference, right? People tend to be a little uh, maybe friendlier. Um, they, and some of it could be, you know, Southern accent. I don't, I don't know, but uh, they, they seem to be friendlier. They seem to be more uh, attentive to, to your needs. And I've noticed that as well. And the argument I want to make uh, t- today as, we're, as we study this idea of hospitality is that I want to make the argument to you today that this really ought to be a trait that is not attributed to the South, it really ought to be a trait that is attributed to Christians. Um, I I would like to see this uh, be a thing that when people think about Christians, they think about hospitality. And and really, uh, um, that this issue, um, you you might say, hey, this sounds like a great sermon for a nap, all right? Actually, um, I I think that this idea of hospitality, it turned out to be a lot more challenging Uh, to me than I realized. But let's start with the definition. We'll put it up on the screen for you. Uh, The Greeks would define hospitality this way. It's being a good friend to someone by being a host to them. right, so hospitality is a very specific trait um, that that when the Bible talks about loving your neighbor and loving uh, those around you, that there are multiple ways in which you can practice that. Hospitality is a very specific way in which you can practice that command of Jesus to love our neighbor. So, for instance, you could give, if, if you saw that your neighbor was in need, you could give them money. That would be the, the trait of generosity. You can give them help, all right? You can give them physical help. That would be the Bible trait of being a servant to them. You can give them advice. This is the Bible trait of being a counselor to them. This is a specific trait about how you love your neighbor, and one of the ways that you can love your neighbor is by being a host to them, Uh, by having them into your home, providing warm conversation, food, entertainment. It's hospitality. Now, believe it or not, there's actually a book of the Bible that talks almost exclusively about this idea. It's not a very long book. It's the book of 3 John, all right? It's going to take up one page of your Bible. So go ahead and turn to 3 John, um, uh, the, the book of 3 John. And uh, John is not the only one that hits on this topic. There's a, a couple of other passages that will uh, hit on the book of hosp- or the idea of hospitality. Uh, Paul will say in Romans 12:13. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. All right? 
Uh, Peter will say in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 9, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then you've got this book of 3 John. All right, and I want to show you what John uh, says. He's uh, writing to his dear friend Gaius, and here's how it starts. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy uh, when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told uh, the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that you went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. All right? So, John, this is where this kind of gets uh, a little more provocative. You know, we, we could have just said this is a sermon about we ought to host one another and share meals together. I'm done, right? You're not getting off that easy, all right? Because John uh, ties this idea of hospitality. He ties it to the idea of the truth, right? He says that we may work together for the truth. And this does not surprise me. John was somebody that had a real commitment to the truth. So I think before we can understand the idea of hospitality in terms of how John uses it, we, we need to understand how John, in a greater sense, thinks about and talks about the truth. So let me show you on the screen lots of scripture in today's message, right? John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 8, 31 through 32. To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So why is the truth so important to John? Well, I think one of the the most logical explanations for this is that John and Jesus had a uniquely close relationship. Um, And and we we know that John would refer to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, all right? They were really, really good friends. And the reason we know that John is referring to himself is because the phrase, the disciple that Jesus loved, appears five times in scripture. All of them were written by John. Right, so Matthew's not talking about the disciple that Jesus loved. Mark's not talking about the disciple that Jesus loved. John is talking about the disciple that Jesus loved. And so we, we really believe that, that John is talking about himself there. Now, Jesus obviously has a high regard for John. Uh, that there's this really tender scene in, in the story of the cross when Jesus is about to leave this earth uh, on the cross and he says, asks John to take care of his mom. And I think that because John and Jesus uh, were such good friends and they were so close. I think it's really important to John when you read his gospel that people understand who Jesus was, not just what he did. So there's lots of identity stuff in the book of John. So John wants us to understand that Jesus was and is the truth. That the truth is found in Jesus. And, and it's true. We could apply this a lot of different ways. Let me apply it in a couple different ways. You want to know what it means to live on mission. 
the truth of that is found in Jesus. And so we would teach, follow him. If you want to know what it looks like to be on mission, follow Jesus. You see it in John's writing that Jesus came on a mission. He came to live with both grace and truth. That, that he was on a mission that included both. And I think Jesus, especially in this day and age, Jesus is the perfect mixture of grace and truth. That he came in both. And we sometimes get this wrong. We come with all grace and never speak truth. Or we come with all truth and, never, and, and grace never enters in. And Jesus came as a mixture of both. Let me show you. John shares this story one time. And I think this, this demonstrates Jesus' mastery of this skill. It says, at dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people were gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in the act of adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. <laughs> I just love the scene. When they kept on questioning, he straightened up and asked, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down and started to write on the ground again. At this, those who, began, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, right? Until only Jesus was left and the woman was still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Grace, you are not condemned. Truth, this is not the best way for you to live. That Jesus had this amazing ability, this perfect ability to live uh, in both these ways. And I think we need this skill more than ever in our culture today. So if you want to know what it looks like to live on mission, the mission of grace and truth, follow Jesus. The truth is found in him. You want to know what it means to have a great marriage, right? G G the, the truth of that is found in Jesus. And you say, now wait, wait, wait just a second, Steve. Jesus was never married unless you buy into that whole Da Vinci Code thing, which I don't, right? But the Bible says that Jesus was married. The church was his bride, and he's the bridegroom. So you want to know what it looks like to be a great husband and to have a great marriage? Look at Jesus. Follow him. The truth is found in him. Watch him sacrifice. Watch him lay down his life. Watch him serve. You want to be a great leader? Follow Jesus. The truth of that is found in him. You can watch him lead well, correct others well, shepherd perfectly. He has a vision he's trying to fulfill. So the truth is found in Jesus. And so back to our text in 1 John. You can see in this text in 3 John, excuse me, how important the truth is to John. That he says to Gaius, man, you are somebody, you are walking in the truth. You, you, are, you are doing that very well. And this was hugely important to John. He says, th th this has gotten to the point where John says, he's been hearing others talk about how Gaius is walking in the truth. You're following Jesus. He's the Lord of your life. You're walking in the truth. People are talking about that and I'm proud of you, but he doesn't stop there. He says, man, you're walking in the truth. And then look at what he says. Through your hospitality, through your hospitality, Gaius, you're working with others for the truth, right? So he's somehow connecting this idea of the truth being so important with Gaius's hospitality. Apparently, there were some visiting pastors and leaders who had uh, kind of had a difficult time at other churches, and they had showed up to where Gaius was serving and uh, pastoring, and Gaius shows these pastors and leaders, out-of-town guests, hospitality. 
He gives them a place to sleep. He gives them some food to eat. And John was so pleased that this working together in the church was happening because one of the things that was true about the early church is that they found working together very difficult. The church was fractured in a lot of different places. One was saying, I follow Paul. Another was saying, I follow Cephas. Another was saying, I follow Christ. They, they, were, they were divided in this way, and there was a lot of arguing. So these pastors and leaders come, and John says, no, we're just going to show you hospitality. We're going to work together for the truth. And, and here's, here's where we're going to kind of dive down into this subject a little deep, deeper. John thinks the truth is so important. Getting the truth is so important that we have to find a way to work together for the truth. Because if the church doesn't find a way to work together for the truth, there will be petty arguments within the church that are a distraction. And so John, this is kind of John's point about truth and hospitality. He doesn't want any distractions for the church. He says the truth is too important uh, for there to be distractions. Now, I grew up in a house, and maybe you did too, where hospitality kind of ruled the day. My mom had this spiritual gift of hospitality. And I remember we had people in and out of our house uh, my entire life. Sometimes they even lived with us, right? They, they live with us other, other times. More often, they just come over for dinner or they come over for holidays. My mom was a very hospitable person. And, and when she passed away my senior year of high school, uh, person after person mentioned this about her about how important it was to them, how much it meant to them that she invited them over for meals and she would cook lasagna. That was one of her kind of big things and people would comment on how good that was. But anyway, when, when, uh, when we were growing up in our church, so a lot of times this exact scenario would play out. A visiting pastor, a visiting missionary would come through and they need a place to stay and my parents would volunteer to host the visiting pastor or the visiting missionary. And what I learned at a very young age is they'd come into our home and uh, they'd share their vision. They'd share the, the vision of their ministry with our family. And I thought this was super cool as a young guy. Um, that and, and here's what I observed. Hospitality has a way of building teamwork. All right, so that leader would come in We'd cook him a meal, we'd give him a bed, he'd stay in our house, I'd sleep on the couch because he was in my bed you know, with Spider-Man stuff on the wall, I'm sure he loved it. Um, we'd show him hospitality, he'd share his mission and vision, and all of a sudden our family prayed for those people more than we did before. Um, we gave financially more than we did before to their organization. We followed them more than we did before. Hospitality built a sense of teamwork. All right? So we may not have a lot of opportunities to host visiting pastors and preachers. Um, we, might, we, we offer some of that. But listen, we are still called to work together as a church family. And hospitality builds teamwork. This working together thing was so important to Jesus that it was one of the last things that he prayed about before he went to the cross. That we, the church, would work together. We'd work together for his glory and for his name. That we'd work together for the truth. We'd work together for the truth. And so if the, both those ideas are correct, you can see where hospitality begins to kind of cut in here, that we are called to work together for the truth. The truth is so important. We are working together for the truth. And hospitality builds a sense of teamwork and unity. So let me kind of dial this down to the micro level, kind of where we live in this world today. There is a lot that could divide us right now as a church as a big C church and as a local church. There's a lot that could divide us right now. Our politics could divide us right now. Did you know that in this room right now, 
we have both Democrats and Republicans. <gasps> right? We've got both sitting here. Right? Our politics could divide us. Uh, our generational differences could divide us. That our younger folks could look at our older folks with a negative attitude and vice versa. Our, economics, our economic standing could divide us. There is a lot that could divide us. And anything that could divide us, you know what it is? It is a distraction from the truth. Right? Politics is a distraction if that were to divide us. Generational differences is a distraction if that were to divide us. Uh, economic standing is a distraction if that were to divide us. And let me put this on the screen for you. Hospitality is the discipline that keeps us working together. All right? And this is, where, this is how hospitality and the truth, why John combines these ideas, is that hospitality is the discipline that keeps us working together. When you share a meal with someone, all of a sudden it is a reminder that Democrat or Republican isn't as bad as you thought they were. Sharing a meal does that. Uh, that older guy, that younger guy, they're nicer than you thought they were. You assume because they were younger or because they were older, they were this or they were that, and you share a meal together, you practice hospitality, and all of a sudden, that gets stripped away. Hospitality keeps us united and reminds us that we may see the world differently, but we are working toward the same thing. So hospitality, do you see how important this is? Hospitality builds unity. Hospitality builds relationship, it builds friendship, and our world needs this lost art more than we have ever needed it before. And Christians ought to be on the forefront of this, that we have lost the art of hospitality. Allow me to illustrate. I want you to think about the last time you were invited to someone's house for a meal. It's probably been a while, right? You know, maybe it was yesterday, and that's great, all right? If there are people practicing this, but this is a lost art in our culture, and this is the why of hospitality. You wanna know why hospitality is so important to John? People need to know the truth. We need unity like we've never needed it before. Otherwise, we're gonna get distracted, and hospi hospitality is one of the tools that we have in our toolbox. It's maybe the biggest tool we have in our toolbox to build unity, to build teamwork to build friendship. So John says, practice hospitality. Now that's not all he says on this, all right? Let me show you the verse nine now. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, all right? If you're thinking about having a baby, there's a name for you, all right? <laughs> Don't say you never get anything out of church, Diotrephes, all right? Um, he, who loves to be first, he will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing spreading malicious nonsense about us. Don't, don't you love the Bible? Here's, you know, it's malicious nonsense, right? Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So John continues the conversation on hospitality and he calls out this guy, Diotrephes. Not a hospitable guy, right? Diotrephes does not sound like a hospitable guy. John says he refused to welcome us. He refused to welcome other pastors and leaders. He refused to welcome other believer, believers. And notice the qualities that John points out about this guy. He's spreading malicious nonsense about us. He's being mean. He's lying. He's making up stories. And listen, this is going to explain the United States right now, okay? 
that whenever you see a culture lose its hospitality, diatrophies is what happens. Whenever you see a culture like ours has, whenever you see a culture lose their hospitality, what replaces hospitality is stereotyping. All right? Stereotyping will always replace hospitality. So you start to hear things like, these young people are all fill in the blank. These old people are all fill in the blank. These Republicans, they are all fill in the blank. These Democrats, they are all fill in the blank. And when a culture loses hospitality, diatrophies is what happens. And stereotyping will replace hospitality. It happens every single time. And we, as a culture, have become separated from each other because of these very, uh, because of these very stereotypes. So one of the things the Big C Church is always battling, we are always battling the temptation to become a homogeneous church. So I'm not sure I want you to make a statement about that right now. No, homogeneous, okay? Um, this is a homogeneous church is a church where everybody looks the same. It is a, a church where everybody is the same, pr- pretty much. There may be a few exceptions to that, but in a homogeneous church, everybody's about the same age. In a homogeneous church, everybody's about in the same stage of life. In a homogeneous church, everybody's the same color. Uh, everybody's about the same income. It, it is a church where everybody looks the same. And I have been in churches where everybody is older, and I have been in church where almost everybody is younger. And you know what causes that to happen? You know what causes that to happen? Why a church would be just full of older people and why a church would be full of just younger people? The reason that happens is a lack of hospitality. And it's a specific type of hospitality that causes this this to happen. Because in a church of all older people and a church of all younger people and a church of all Republicans and a church of all Democrats, they will typically spend a lot of time together with each other They'll go out for dinner. They'll spend time with each other. They'll be in each other's houses. They'll grab coffee. What's missing is a biblical sense of hospitality that extends beyond their generation, beyond their skin color, beyond their age demographic, and beyond their income. And so a church that has swung one way or the other, it's like everybody in this church is older. Everybody in this church is younger. Everybody in this church is Republican. Everybody in this church is Democrat. Everybody in this church is white. Everybody in this church is African-American. That is usually what what happens. It is a lack of uh, cross-cultural, intergenerational hospitality. And in everyone, when when that happens to a church, when that happens to a church, you know what happens? Is a subtle anger begins to form toward people not like them. You might visit a church that is full of older people and you will begin to hear a subtle anger toward young people. They are this, they are that, they are the other thing. Um, If you visit a church that's full of younger people, you will begin to hear this subtle anger toward older people. They're stuck in their ways. They're this, they're that, they're the other thing. And you know what's driving this? Look back at your text. What he says to Diotrephes, notice how he's described, verse nine. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, what does it say? Who loves to be first. You want to know what drives a lack of hospitality and what causes churches to become that way? It is diatrophies. He loves to be first. So let me ask you a question. 
All right, I told you this was going to be provocative. All right, hospitality, you thought you were taking a nap, didn't you? All right, this is an important issue. Why would a church be full of just older people? They love to be first. They love to be first, and they want church to be their way. Why would a church be full of just younger people? Why would it, why would, what would cause a church to be just full of younger people? Diatrophies. They love to be first, and they want to have things their way. Why would a church be full of just Democrats? Why would a church be full of just Republicans? Why would that happen? How does that come to be? They love to be first, and they don't want to be uncomfortable and have to hear someone else's point of view. I am telling you, I wouldn't have said it before this week. I thought I was going to get to dial this sermon in. No. I was like, oh, hospitality. Tell everyone to get together once in a while and we'll be done. No. This is a major issue for the church. Um, I remember talking to a guy, uh, this was a couple years ago now, it was at, it was at a funeral, and uh, this is just a guy in our community, um, I, I don't even know his name, um, we, we were just chatting, and I said, hey, um, didn't you used to go to this church? And I, I named a multi-generational, uh, multi-ethnic, that whole, that whole thing, I knew he used to go there, I know him well enough to know he used to go there. I said, don't you go to that church? And I said, no, I, I left there, I left there a couple years ago. I said, oh, where are you going to now? And he began to describe a church that he would drive 45 minutes to. And uh, he said, oh, Steve, he said, this church is fantastic. Everybody is about my age. We're all retired. We all love spending time together. And then he said this, and there's no little kids running around. He said, I love it. Diatrophies. Diatrophies. And I'm not picking. I've seen this in younger churches too. I, I, I've seen this in churches of, of younger people as well. I've seen this in Republican churches. I've seen this in Democrat churches. And I'm telling you, so let me repeat myself one more time. Hospitality would, would solve a ton of this stuff. If we would just practice the biblical discipline of hospitality, it would solve a lot of this. So can I encourage you to that? You know, how do you, how do you avoid becoming a church like that? It is through hospitality. So invite someone to dinner. Have someone over to dinner of a different political persuasion, a different race, a different socioeconomic background, a different generation. Let me encourage you to that. Let me encourage you and motivate you to hospitality because hospitality builds unity. It builds friendship. It breaks down walls. It solves all of these problems that John was concerned about. So I want to encourage you to hospitality, to, 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 to having people either in your home or to a restaurant where uh, maybe you buy. <laughs> no, right? And just begin to spend some time across the generations, across the races, across socioeconomic, all that stuff. And here's what will happen. When we are more hospitable, the stereotyping will fall away. They're all this, they're all that, they're all the other. That falls away because you know one. You know a young person. You know an old person. I, I've uh, started to see this habit with um, a lot of preacher friends of mine where they'll be preaching and they want to make a point. So they'll want to make a point about the generations or they'll want to make a point about whatever and they'll build a straw man. And, and they'll kind of build this straw man and then they'll kind of break down the straw man. And whenever, they, whenever I see someone build a straw man in a sermon, I'm always like, I don't know anybody from that generation that is like that straw man. It's a stereotype. 
I just don't know, know people that, that are exactly that way. So stereotypes fall away through hospitality. Speaking poorly of one another falls away through hospitality. We gain our unity instead of losing it. So let me close uh, by showing one more thing that John says. This, this whole book is basically about hospitality. Verse 11. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, of him and you know that our testimony is true. So you've been talking about this guy that's kind of opposed to hospitality, opposed to unity. I mean, that guy had a major attitude problem because who, when you're hearing about hospitality, who throws people out of the church for that? But that's how opposed to hospitality uh, this guy was. And then he kind of turns the corner and he looks at this Demetrius guy and notice how he's, he, he's described. Let's not just skip over this. He says, he is well spoken of by who? He's well spoken of by everyone. I want you to think about that for a minute. That he was so living in the truth he was so practicing hospitality. He was so committed to unity that he was well spoken of by everyone. So if you are in your 20s or your 30s, I hope that you know some people in their 70s and 80s that speak well of you because you have a friendship with them. If you're in your 70s and 80s, I hope that you know some people in their 20s and 30s and they speak well of you because of the relationship there. If you're a Republican, I hope you know some Democrats. If you're a Democrat, I hope you know some Republicans and they speak well of you, you get the point. And I think it's easy to make excuses, I really do. I think in this area of hospitality, it's easy to make excuses. I'm available for anybody that wants to call. Or I'm older, they should be in touch with me. I'm younger, they should reach out to me. I'm an introvert, I'm shy, I'm new to the church. And I think it's easy to make excuses. You know what I'd rather see us do? Is let's just make this happen. You can make excuses or you can make it happen. And I, and I think we begin to make it happen. We make hospitality happen when we understand the stakes, that the truth is at stake and we gotta work together for the truth and people need to know the truth and all, anything other than the truth can separate us and divide us and we lose our influence. And so the truth is what this is all about. People need to know it and so we strive for unity. And the best tool we have in our toolbox is hospitality. So we practice hospitality so that we can be as strong as we need to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for John and uh, his desire for the truth to be known. And um, hospitality, as God, you know better, it's become kind of a lost thing. Um, we're not spending time together much as much anymore. And so stereotyping is happening. And I mean, the world has changed a lot, but it's really not changed at all since you gave, those John, since you gave John those words to say. And so would you help us to leave here today with a renewed commitment to hospitality? We don't want anything to distract us from the truth. We want the people in our area of Macon County, the place where we serve and live and play, we want them to know the truth. And, and so help us to not be distracted by anything. Help us to not lose our unity over anything. Help us to love the truth and to practice hospitality. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.
Amen. We stand. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And uh, we'll have a couple uh, prayer uh, people up here along with me. And uh, if you have a prayer request or prayer need, um, we would love to, to uh, greet you down here and, and pray with you. Um, if you're interested in hearing um, more about Jesus and uh, the difference that he makes, you're surrounded by a bunch of people of whom he's made a huge difference. If you want to learn more about that, uh, you can come forward and begin a conversation or, or contact us this week. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about that as well as we sing this song.